Welcome to the Cult of Domesticity podcast, where two best friends tell each other stories about history, true crime, and other shenanigans. I'm Courtney. And I'm Ashley. So, Ashley, did you have a good Valentine's Day? It was better than I thought it would be. Um, There was a family emergency yesterday, but it did not go as badly as it could have yet. Still not out of the woods, but she's holding on. So we'll see. So if you can keep my family in your prayers and thoughts and all that stuff, that would be lovely. Um, But no, um, I was expecting to get a really bad message or phone call today and that didn't come. So it was good. How about you? Um, My Valentine is an 85 pound German Shepherd. Oh, lucky girl. (laughs) And I was up at 5.30 because my sister decided now we're, we're going to work out. So <laughs> I now, my body, it's been a, about a week. My body naturally wakes up at 5.30 and the sun's not out. Um, but in case you were wondering, McDonald's does sell ice cream before 7 a.m. That is handy information to have. Yeah. I appreciate that. Thank you for sharing that with me. You're welcome. There's not a lot open in our town before like 8 or is that after. What the text the other night was about how there were more people at the bar than at the gym. I didn't know if you were I didn't know if you were quoting a TV show or if that was like an actual thing, so I just kind of let it go. No, that was an actual <laughs> thing. Um yeah, Kate didn't go. She wasn't feeling good this weekend, so uh I went by myself Sunday night and the parking lot was full because there's like the gym and then the in the corner of the plaza and then this really popular bar mm-hmm. that's uh been on like some tv shows and stuff and has it been on diners drive-ins and dives because other than that i would not i uh, watch that show every friday it's great it's been on a michael simon barbecue show in okay. cleveland you know it's more exciting <laughs> whatever i have an unironic love for guy fietti that knows no bounds so i love michael simon he's great uh but yeah, I went and the parking lot was packed. So I was like, crap, I'm not going to be able to do anything. I'm not going to be able to get the little side room so I can like do my workout. And it wasn't that busy. It was all for the bar. It was all for the bar. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, now you know, McDonald's is open. At, it's open all the time and you can get ice cream most times unless the machine's down. I was going to say, unless the machine is broken. And then... Yeah, my town, the only other option is uh, Burger King. And I don't think they have ice cream that I would want. Yeah. So Ashley, will you be my Valentine? That's not a dog. Oh, well, when you put it so nicely, yeah, I kind of <laughs> have to. <laughs> not like there's a lot of competition. So yes, yes, I will. Thank you for asking. Yeah, I made my little joke earlier that I opened my pretend box of male suitors and it's empty. <laughs> there's not a lot going on in my town. I'm not dating someone that went to my high school. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Neither am I, but they're mostly like 780 miles away because they're yeah. even further than you are. So I think there are a couple up this way, but hard pass. I'm good. <laughs> we're friends. It's fine. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah. It was funnier earlier when you said it because you were like, our friend announces they're having a baby for the audience here. And she goes, he's going to be a dad. And then I just opened my box and there's nothing. <laughs> he's married, going to have a kid. Yeah, the look on your face, you were like, empty (laughs) it wasn't even sad you were just like "Eh." (laughs) i I can't anyway yeah oh i mean he has a house he has a wife he's gonna have a kid and we're just like you were the last person we expected for this like why are you a grown-up right now stop that and he listens so he'll know and then we'll get angry texts (laughs) i look forward to them and i welcome your ire (laughs) hashtag not going to the home i'm gonna give you the look he's gonna give you which is (laughs) 
it's there's more sarcasm. I know, but I can't. I don't have the Dominican sarcasm gene, so I can only hit a certain percentage of his sarcasm. You know what I mean? Well, socks. I guess I'm not going to knit. Nope. He's directly on my lap now, over I my can knitting. See, like just the hump of his back. I mean, my hands are very warm right now, and my heart is warm because I've had beer. <laughs> I want that on a t-shirt, please. Someone please make it and send it to me. So today we're going to talk about Taka International Airlines Flight 110. And more importantly, it's badass of a captain. Yeah. And for the record, no one dies in this one. Nobody. Yay! Not a single and- one. Wait, can I do it? Can I do it? Yes. And everybody lives! Everybody lives. lives. <laughs> this time, everybody lives. So excited. We're going to call on the ninth doctor right now. Oh, my favorite yikes. doctor. You guys, you don't even know. Like, it got so, it got so dark that listening to last podcast's Jonestown episodes was the bright spot. <laughs> okay. Like, this, oh, it's like so nice that I can be like, and Noah died. I'm really excited. So, um, I'm just going to call it Taco 110 because Taco International Airlines Flight 110, that's a mouthful. Is, and also, Taco. T-A-C-A. I'm going with Taco. It was out of El Salvador. So, yeah. Taco. But no, um. El Taco. Stop. Rod, stop. (laughs) So, no, so there's an episode, again, of Air Crash Investigation. It's called Nowhere to Land. It's beautiful. And they call it Taco 110 the entire time. I think I, I feel like this may have been the first one that I made Corinne watch with me (laughs) because I made her watch the show. But she goes, I don't want to see one where everyone dies because that's really depressing. And I go, I feel you. I got one. So it's called Nowhere to Land. Um, I actually did not watch it in preparation for this. I just did some like actual research instead of watching the show. Damn, I'm proud of you. Yeah. Um, All right. So Taco 110 was a regularly scheduled passenger flight between San Salvador, El Salvador, to New Orleans, Louisiana. And there was a stopover in Belize City, Belize. These are some really creative city names. Just want to point that out. Um, Bogota, Colombia, Quita, Ecuador. Yeah, except for it's San Salvador, El Salvador, and Belize City, Belize. Brasilia, Brazil. Also, yes. <laughs> not not related, but yes. Sorry, it's just the song you learned to learn all... Well, I think Caitlin learned it and then just taught it to me. She sang it so much, we never learned it. I just know most of it now. It's a beautiful story. Thank you. You're welcome. The airplane, <laughs> a Boeing Model 737-300, had 38 passengers and a crew of seven, um, which if you've ever been on a 737-300, like 38 people, that's not a full flight. It's not not a lot of people. It's kind of in the middle. Wait, so is it like a two and a one row? I want to say it is, but it might be a two and a two. I don't remember off the top of my head. Even if it's just a two and a two. I feel like it's a two and a one. But even so, 38 people, that's not going to take up the whole thing. It's like maybe half the flight. Yeah, it was not crowded. Um, also, can we please talk about how being on the one side, like where you're oh, by yourself, is scary? So no, it's so much better than having to sit next to a random stranger. I will fight you on this. <laughs> so much better. I'm thinking, like, if you're traveling by yourself, it's a great one. But if you're traveling with people, and I kind of also just don't like, I don't know, it's such a small plane that it makes me nervous. I'd rather be on a big plane. I would too, but then when you think about it, like, there's a lot more flying debris if you get in a crash on a big plane than a small plane. Anyway, so no, so can we talk about this show has affected the way I choose where I sit on airplanes based on whether we're flying over land or water? Because if you're flying over water, it's better to sit 
in the middle section because mm-hmm. the wings will float if it breaks like if you crash and it breaks up the wing sections are the fuel tanks and it's gonna float so you're gonna have okay. a longer time but if you're flying over land the tail section is gonna break off and the front section is gonna break off and then the wings are over the fuel tanks so they're gonna catch fire and you're fucked so like if it's over land and not over any water i will sit in the back row all day every day all right so <laughs> glossing over uh, so the 737 takes off uneventfully out of belize to new orleans um the first like this was a brand freaking new airplane pretty much it had first flown on january 26 1988 and had been in service with taka for like two weeks so i want to talk about the captain of the flight because he is fantastic uh, his name is Paige His name is Carlos Dardano. Uh, at the time, he was 29 years old. He had already amassed 13,410 flight hours, and almost 11,000 of those were as pilot in command. It's adorable. He really is. He's kind of like he almost reminds me of the guy from the George Lopez show who plays like the best friend. Except for like those were after this, so they were a little bit later. He was younger than this, younger than those pictures when this happened, for the most part. I made a mistake. I made a horrible Did horrible. you look at the last one when I told I you not to? I kept clicking it and I didn't realize it. I'm sorry. Do you see why we're not posting that one? Oh yeah, we're not posting yeah. that because I'm going to have nightmares and I... All right. Well, let's get to that one then. So uh, there's just a note that the first officer was also super experienced. He had 12,000 flight hours and there's an instructor pilot who was also in the cockpit. Um, he was there to monitor the performance of the new plane. Uh, his name was Captain Arturo Soli. Um, Carlos Sardano, badass extraordinaire, uh, lost an eye in 1982 when he was 23, which is a strange thing to have happen and still be a commercial pilot, but let me continue and we'll understand. Um, he had been, fu- like, piloting. It was kind of a small-time operation, but, like, kind of not... I don't know. It was like a domestic air taxi service in El Salvador, except at the time, El Salvador was in the middle of a civil war. Was it in the 80s? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it would be 1982. Central America in the the 80s, you just... It's kind of a hot mess. Let's see. I think El Salvador, Guatemala... Yeah. Um, yeah, just, there's probably there's a cool. lot. There's a lot happening. Central South America, it was a lot of mostly American caused. Yeah, I was going to say that's kind of our bad. Sorry, guys. American um, caused political <laughs> disruption. You're welcome. It's democracy. Continuous track record of success. Anyway, so he was 23. Um, he was a pilot for an air taxi service. So, kind of like in New England, think Cape Air. Like, a really small, like, does a limited number of routes to certain destinations. Kind of cheap, but not really. Um, Except it was the middle of the Civil War. And he was helping passengers get on board the plane when a group of guerrillas, like, guerrilla fighters, not like guerrilla monkeys, attacked them. They don't have guerrillas in Central and South America, by the way. They have guerrillas, but not guerrillas. It's another minor, minor thing. Anyway, there was a group of guerrilla fighters who came out of the, the like near Wait, the airfield what is it what is the like what is it called when it sounds the same but it's spelled the different ashley is a lover of homophone i'm so bad about them i feel <laughs> the need to clarify them awkwardly and then just dig myself in deeper as we learn homophones ashley digs herself a deeper hole <laughs> All right, so he's helping passengers get onto his plane, and they're attacked, and he's shot in the fucking eye. What the fuck? Like, through the eyeball, which is what that picture is of. It's a picture of his older self holding a picture of the injury. 
How the fuck did he not die? Uh, not only did he not die, he then flew the plane 20 minutes to safety, despite, again, having been shot in the fucking eyeball. Can we give this man the highest medal of honor of not giving a fuck? So that was weird and awful flight scenario number one for him and he comes back and he manages to get his pilot's license and like be a super accomplished pilot despite having only one eye and the depth perception problems that that would cause actually that picture is not that bad it's 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 gross but when you realize that it's him having survived it in the background holding that picture it's not as awful it's kind of like i survived where it's like they're there to tell the story, so you know it's going to be a, at least a little bit okay. Does he have a glass? He does. Now I'm just thinking of Pirates and the guy whose eyes are fucking <laughs> He's out. just always losing. He is in everything, by the way. Like, I know, it's like a secret. Every British show, he is in at least one scene. Is it like the BBC's, like we have four actors, three yes. sets, two, two costumes, and one prop? Pretty much, yeah. And he's just always and a background he's actor? Always, yeah, he has like two lines. Yep. He's like I a background actor. I don't even know his name. But he's there. He's probably behind you in the house right now. Oh, fuck no. <laughs> I'm sorry. He's not. So the day of Taco 110, which I had the date somewhere, but now I don't. Sometime in 1988. Um, so they're coming in for landing. Well, they were just starting their descent for landing into New Orleans. And they encounter severe weather. So it's like a band of storm cells. Um, and the radar on board at the time was not great like think 1988 technology then think about the weather systems that they use at the time and think about how would they make those portable enough to fit on an airplane and still be accurate i'm just thinking if the goonies had worse technology and spoke spanish spoke el salvadorian spanish during a civil war so i'm assuming really it's just the goonies except for their shittier weather And no pirate. And they're on an airplane? Well, I'm assuming, like, their treasure hunt is the plane flying to this destination, so they're trying to get to the treasure, and this plane's trying to get to its destination. I mean, that's really flattering to New Orleans. Yeah. Please keep that in, because I love the goodies. All right. So they counter severe weather. They're trying to go around the most severe, because if you're an airplane, you really, really don't want to go through a thunderstorm. It's all instrumentation. There's a threat of St. Elmo's fire, which is when the plane is struck by lightning and it like goes around the whole plane and it fucks with all of your electrical systems, by the way. That is horrifying. Uh, Not good. Um, I don't mind flying. Now stop doing this to me. They all live. Just keep telling yourself that. Um, I'm just going to Google a picture of the the ninth doctor. As in this case, the engines can only take on so much water before they give out. So... If you're flying through a heavy thunderstorm, there's going to be rain. At that altitude, there's going to be, like, hail, even if there's none on the ground. You can't see out the windshield because you're in the middle of a cloud bank, and you're relying entirely on instruments that are going to be completely befuddled by, yeah, by all of the stuff happening outside the plane. So they're trying to avoid that, um, but... I'm just looking at the ninth doctor because it's making me feel better. So they were at 35,000 feet. They try to go around the storm cells, but they, in doing so, accidentally go through an area of massive precipitation. Direct quote. Um, so at approximately thir- 16,000 feet, they encounter 30 seconds of heavy hail. It results in both engines experiencing simultaneous complete power loss. And Wait, what? 
Yep, they lose both engines. Um, and a rollback and thrust, which is not great. So they declare an emergency at 12,000 feet, and they radio air traffic control, and they say, we're in the middle of the storm, we lost an engine. Except they lost both. Um, they try to do what's called a windmill restart, which is when you're in the air, and you're trying to use the force, if I remember right, you're trying to use the force generated by the air moving through the engine to kickstart the engine itself. So like you're using the motion that it's already in to keep it going. Um, but that did not work. So, okay, I'm just picturing another pop culture reference. Uh, the first Avengers, when Iron Man has to spin the engine, they're trying to do that, but it's even yeah. more fucked up than having a piece of stuff stuck in there. Basically, yeah. That's pretty much, like, they're trying to get it started using the... It's If they were in clear weather, it would have been fine. First of all, they wouldn't have lost the engines. But anyway, even if they had somehow lost power to the engines, they may have been able to, like, mid-air jumpstart the engine kind of a thing. But Which is awesome. Yeah. And the thing is, you can land a 737 on one engine just fine, but they lost both at the exact same time, and that's a problem because you need some They're basically going... Not even. Like, they didn't have time to pull the nose up at that point because they were still in the clouds and they lost them so suddenly. I mean, they did pull the nose up eventually, but we'll get to that in a minute. So they're trying to do the restart, but that's not working. So they're going to use the auxiliary power unit, which is the little... It's not really that little, but it's basically the backup for... Mm like the emergency systems, um, it's the backup power unit. So in the, if, I feel like it's in the tail. I may be making that up. It's in different spots on different planes, but it powers the essential cockpit controls. Um, it can usually jump the engines if they need to um, mm-hmm. and operates the emergency lights in the, like the cabin where the seats are and all that stuff. So like they try to use that to start it. And they actually do ignite the engines, but because they're still in so much water and hail, it doesn't stay lit. It doesn't stay moving. Um, so they weren't able to get them to accelerate or idle. And they're like, all right, that's not working. So we're just going to shut them down and try to glide in. Um, except that they were still too far away from the airport to glide to the airport because they were only at 12,000 feet at that point. And they're like all right, where do we put it down? So if I remember correctly, they were looking at, there's an Air Force base along the Gulf. Um, and I think that's where they ended up aiming for, <laughs> aiming being the operative word, but yeah. So did they radio to the Air Force base being like, hey? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They were in constant contact at that point with air traffic control and air traffic control was in contact with neighboring airfields okay. trying to find somewhere so that if they needed to put down somewhere that's not an airport, mm-hmm. they could either be like, yeah, you can use our runway or, hey, we have a giant parking lot or something like that, which I don't think it ever came to that. But also, hey, there's an open field nearby. If it comes to it, you can put it down here. Um, they, I mean, they had a little bit of time to play with but not a whole lot uh and they end up coming up along a river and they're losing altitude pretty quickly at that point so they're like okay we could try to put them on the river we'll ditch it it'll be fine like sully did pretty much but then yeah Um, yeah because all i remember because I remember the event, but then I watched I've watched the movie a couple times. But I mean, the thing that stuck with me from the movie was when the air controller was basically like freaking out because he's like, if they go in the river, no one survives. It normally no one survives. And so I'm like, you're saying they're like, we'll land in the river and figure like in a river and figure it out. I'm like, okay, 
problem with the river is that usually if it's your last case scenario, you don't have time to clear the river. So whatever's on the river at that point is going to still be there and you got to try to avoid it with whatever control you may or may not have. And if there are bridges, like in the case of Sully, or if the waves are too rough and you hit a wave at the wrong angle, then yeah, you're fucked. Like, Wait, What happens if you hit a wave at the wrong angle? So you hit a wave, if you're coming in nose up like you would for a runway which is the best way to put it down and you hit a wave at the wrong point the wave can break the plane like even if it's not a big wave it can hit it at the right angle and it'll cause the nose to move and then it tips and cartwheels and and you have to keep the wings perfectly even because if you don't then one of them dips pulls the plane at a weird angle and it's yeah it pulls it down it it like again could cause it to cartwheel and if there's something in the way like say the george washington bridge then it's a problem because then you're gonna go tail first into the bridge or something like that depending on where you start turning the river's dangerous yeah but it's doable if all the conditions are right so they come down out of the clouds and they see the river and they're like, all right, well, we could probably put it down on the river. But at the last minute, good old one eye sees a levee mm-hmm. and he's like, you know what? I bet I can put it down there. So, Much better choice. Yeah. You don't have to worry about waves. You don't have to worry about boats. It, the only thing that he was really worried about was that it was a short runway. Like as runways go, it was a short impromptu runway. So mm-hmm. like he was going to have to put flaps way up and try to stop it as like try to stop the forward motion as soon as possible or else they were going to go off the levee and into the water and that would be not great because they would go nose first and probably flip because the levee has a hill Mm -hmm. um so they're like all right let's do this so they do what's called a dead stick landing which is no engines all they had is the hydraulics so the flaps and slats and all that stuff on the wing Mm -hmm. and um no forward thrust except for the motion that they already had going and still raining at that point but it's coming down and not into the engines which were off anyway so it doesn't really matter but he manages to land this plane a 737 on a on a hill with one eye mind you no depth perception and no engines and everyone lived there were no injuries there was one girl who was recovering from surgery and like they did take her to the hospital just to make sure she didn't like bust her stitches or anything like that but she was okay yeah um so again one eye Cannot stress that enough. <laughs> this guy, at 29 years old, saved a total of 38 plus 7. That's 45 people plus himself from a situation that if cooler heads had not prevailed, all of them probably would have died. Because if they had tried to put down on the river in a thunderstorm, yeah, yeah, not great. And, side note, the levee actually ended up being on NASA property. Really? <laughs> yeah, so he lands a plane in NASA's backyard like, hey guys, what's up? We're all good. We're gonna go to space now, bitches! So, like, so, like the pictures of the plane with, like, the slides down, that's on NASA property. And so they had to, like, okay, if you look at the plane, like, the nose of that plane, all the paint, that's all stripped because of the hail. What the fuck? Yeah. That's you have to, was, okay, okay, so if you can't see it, go check out our Facebook. Two weeks old. Because they repaint it when you go to a new airline. Mm-hmm. It gets a new paint job to match the airline's branding. The paint was two weeks old. (laughs) They replaced the engines at, there were like six airworthiness directives that came out of this because they found that it was a flaw in the engine that it would flood when when high volumes of water and hail were pushed through the engine that it was was technically a defect. So they replaced all the engines. So that doesn't seem like a problem. You know, water and you're in a plane. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. 
it's not usually that big a deal, but when there's a high volume of it, the engines can't cope and it shuts down, and then you, you have a situation like Taco one time. Okay, so if you want to see, like, let's put it this way. Basically, the nose of the plane, on the picture, it looks like... It pretty much stripped the paint for a good foot of the nose cap. Yeah, it's like a half an inch on my size of the, the image I'm looking at. So I'm going to assume it's, it's more than a foot. Oh, yeah. It's, it's got to be like two, three feet of paint. For and a 737? Could, yeah. Two, three feet easy. Easy. Um, so check out all the pictures will be up on our Facebook page, which is, um, we'll tell you all the information at the end. But um, yeah. There's also a picture of the tiny levee that they ended up landing on. Yeah. It's like super it's, small. And the thing is, if, if you weren't, like, I don't know. I feel like he was looking to see what was at the edge of the river in case they hit it with the wing. And he was like, oh, look, a hill. Let me hit that instead of the water. But if he hadn't been looking out for hazards to begin with, like, most people would not have noticed that in the middle of a crisis situation in a thunderstorm with low visibility. And again, one fucking eye. Yeah. <laughs> like... I mean, dude, he just reminds me of all those people who are emergency trained. And so you're naturally you you take that adrenaline rush that you get when there's an emergency. And you're you take that hyper awareness and you're like, looking because I because I've worked with people who in a time of crisis when we had to backboard someone, I think I've told you this, Mm -hmm. uh, this kid, I was not supposed to be the first person besides the guard who was there to get to the kid Mm -hmm. uh i was supposed to be like second or third and it ended up being me and my manager helping someone else backboard a kid which is three standard for guards it's fine um the kid who should have been first ended up on the other side of the pool area and i got to watch and like this is the time when remember i told you i almost broke my finger because i dropped a 100 pound kid on it yes this is when this happened okay (laughs) in case listeners i'm a klutz i've hurt myself a lot like (laughs) uh, (laughs) it's it's really an understatement i dropped a 100 pound kid getting this like lifting the backboard out of the water didn't get my finger out of the way um didn't go to the hospital till the next morning worked probably five more hours with it splinted (laughs) with a half a popsicle stick and some tape (laughs) (laughs) i'm not kidding my friend did it for me who we've been working the same amount of time and he's like I got you. We got the, co- we got like the paramedics in and stuff. And we're like, he's like, I'll get your finger. I'm like, thanks. It's the most Cleveland thing I think I've ever heard. <laughs> I don't want to bother you. Right. I don't want to bother you with my injury. I'm going to go take a popsicle stick and I'll take care of it. It wasn't broken somehow. God, somehow my finger, cause it was right on the knuckle, but this kid got such a ramey out because in a time, like there are two people in a time of crisis which is like, I mean, this was this kid's second strike too. Like the first one was, the first one was really bad because it was a three-year-old. This one was like oh, an older kid. Still though. Yeah. Just as important as a three-year-old. Well, the three, like the other kid, he could have kind of got himself up. This was like a three-year-old fate. Like, oh, I, like okay. I couldn't, like I was close, yeah. but I couldn't turn my head far enough and see him. I still got yelled up, but like they were like, no, it wasn't fault. It was right. Like, this but, is um, like a secondary disciplinary thing. You're yeah, he got reamed out so bad because the manager is basically like, you should have been the first one in. Right. Helping, like, because we could have got this kid out of the water faster. Yeah. And so there are people that when in time of crisis, they take that adrenaline and they're like, I'm going to go. Well, and then there's, and, and then when you think about it, like, after having faced down gorillas. Yeah. And like sustained what should have arguably been a fatal injury because goddamn like after having done that this was this was a piece of cake like was it stressful yes could it have been much worse than it actually was absolutely like 
all of those people could have died, but they didn't because this guy was able to keep his cool head and see what other people probably wouldn't have seen at the time. Yeah, he probably has that really unique ability of some first responders to take adrenaline and like it you basically instead of like a lot of people that's what makes a good pilot is instead of making the situation and like building it up in your head in the Mm -hmm. moment and to where I need to get this right if I don't everyone's gonna die instead of that it's okay here's what we need to do I have literally a checklist from my boss that says okay if this happens you do this Mm-hmm. Like, it's the attention to detail in the moment of an emergency is what sets good pilots from great pilots, and Carlos Dardano is a goddamn great pilot. He's, he's, above, day. he's an above a goddamn great yeah. pilot. He is a superstar. For real. Because like, if I had to choose a pilot, like, just by name and reputation, it would be him and no that's pretty much probably sully him. i'd go with sully i have conflicted feelings about sully but yeah all right well i mean the, my thought is took over but like and this is probably gonna cut, get cut out for time but air traffic control could have lined up something else for him i understand that in the moment he did what he thought was best and he did it very well i'm not contesting mm-hmm. that but if he had listened to the tower he yeah. could have made it back. I feel like he probably could have made it back to an actual runway. I think his fear was hitting some part of New York City. I get that. But from what I've seen and heard of the actual conversations, like he was very brusque with the tower and he was, we're not going to make it. I'm putting it in the river from get go. And like, I'm glad that it turned out very well. Mm-hmm. But that was a very dangerous thing to do. Oh, yeah. I'm not lying. That's dangerous and as fuck. For him to immediately rule out every other possibility that the airline and the FAA and the NTSB itself has said, you have to consider these options first before you put it in the river. Mm -hmm. Like, I get that the time that he saved by not doing those probably kept them afloat on the river. But if he didn't need to be in the river at all, that would have been better. Yeah. No, I'm so... I agree that, like, if he could have not been in the river, but I think it's the sentiment of like what is the quickest yeah thing to I do it's just that's where your mind goes like they say like in a in a scenario you go like he probably thought through all of those things already and he realized it's gonna take me this long it's gonna take me this long this long this long and in his head the best choice but and if thing, and that's the thing i mean this was well after crm was a thing Sully was well after that because eastern airlines that we talked about before mm-hmm. the crew resources management where you have to, you're supposed to consider input from several different sources instead of just making your own snap decision and going with it. Mm-hmm. That was standard for decades before Sully put put it down in the river. And he did not consider anyone else's opinion. The co-pilot himself was like, um, like, yeah. should we not at least think about going back? And he was like, nope, we're going to the river. Like, I don't know. Did he reach the right outcome? Yes. Did he get there the right way? Probably not. I'm just thinking because I know I like I, I'm thinking of when you're in that time of crisis. Yeah. And your mind just works different. And that's the thing you can't always account for in those simulations is yeah. you your mind's working faster than the people that are telling you what to do. Like yeah, it's that's true. I mean, I know that's why we always practice. Like we practice backboarding every week. So that way they made it so a second nature. Right, but it's like a muscle memory thing. It's like for me, I probably can still do CPR because it's such a muscle memory for me. Like in my head, 
we went around and like treaded water and would do CPR, like talk mm-hmm. about the steps of CPR over and over again. I have six years of that in me. Right. And that just doesn't go away. Yeah. And so it's like, I mean, I get that that's like, it's important. And yes, it can make the difference. I'm thinking they're throwing the options out and he's thinking through it faster than they can. Like their adrenaline's going, but not as fast as your life's on the line. Yeah. <laughs> that's the difference. Yeah. They're f- afraid for lives his life's on the line. Yeah. I don't know. It was just like seeing the air traffic control sitting there doing the math saying, okay, based on everything that you've told us and how much fuel you have and how much you weigh when you took off like 10 minutes ago, not even 10 minutes ago. Yeah. Like here's where we are pretty sure you can glide to safely. And he's just like, nope, we're not going to make it based off a gut instinct. Like that, that's the part that I was like, yeah, math, bro, you could probably make it. And he's just like, nope, like that, that part. I'm like, I know it's hard. It's hard. Very well be that that's not how it actually went down. And they did it to make the the dramatization more interesting. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I would pick Carlos Dardano over Sully any day. Yeah, I'm saying he's, like, the second. Like, you do Carlos and then him. Like, because he seems to have a very good natural gut instinct for, like, if shit goes down. Right. He's gonna, he has that experience and that gut instinct to be, like, I can make it here. I can make it there. Like, they both have that. But Carlos has this other, like, this other foresight, you know? I hear you. I would (laughs) argue, I would still, there was another flight called the Gimli Glider. Send it to me. Send me the YouTube thing. I'll watch it. I think it's also Sully is like in our in the collective U.S. consciousness is kind of a hero. Yes, but (laughs) but it's also because he's played by Tom Hanks. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I choose Tom Hanks for anything. I'll choose Tom Hanks for anything. He can play me in my bio. Tom Hanks could murder me, and I would thank him. We have a lot of we have a lot of opinions on celebrities in this one. My deep and unabiding, unironic love for Guy Fieri. Tom Hanks could kill me, and I'd be like, thank you. I love Tom. Tom Hanks could kill me. I don't even care. (laughs) He wouldn't. That's the thing. Like, I say that knowing full well Tom Hanks would not kill me. Tom Hanks would officiate your wedding and then, like, not let you pay for it. Right. He'd be like, no, (laughs) thank you for letting me be part of your day. And I paid your bill. You're welcome. And you're just like, Tom Hanks! My love for the Goonies in here, too. Yeah. Okay. So, real quick, I just want to talk about some things that changed because of the Taco 110 incident. I feel like I'm really selling him short on this. So, like, watch the episode of Air Crash Investigation if you have the time. It's called Nowhere to Land. It's also on Amazon Prime, like the other one was. So... Now, modern jet transports are equipped with weather radar that displays information regarding the intensity of weather in the vicinity of the airplane. This is all from the FAA lessons learned from the incident page. I will say the benefit of the FAA is they learn from their shit and try to fix it. From everything. Like, no one died in this. And they still, like, six airworthiness directives. Whole bunch of updates and amendments to the uh, codes and stuff like that. Like, the regulations for airplanes. All that fun stuff. Um, So... Information regarding intensity of the weather. It's also, it says it's intended to provide pilots with a depiction of the weather in front of the airplane and may influence flight path decisions if weather of sufficient intensity is in front of the plane. Um, Displays typically show green for the lowest intensity, graduating to amber and red as intensity increases. Red areas indicate the most intense precipitation and are to be avoided. Areas where no precipitation is seen by radar um, are displayed as black so it's like black is the background and then green is like light going up to red so think like this sort of like 
weather radar on the news, but fewer colors. I was just thinking going from, eh, it's not that bad. Oh shit, avoid! Except, well, I mean, yeah, like green you could fly through, but probably shouldn't. Yeah, like Yellow eh. and red, mm, avoid it if you can, because it's not going to go great for you. It's like, eh, danger, fuck. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, it does say that when displaying extreme precipitation levels, the radar may display the highest intensities, which are worse than red as clear on the radar screen, which is not great. It's called a radar shadow, and it's a result of attenuation of the radar signal. So, like, the signal can't even get through it. So it just comes through as clear. And that's not great. Um, but they know about it. So I would assume they're working on trying to fix it. Just awful. But, okay, if you think about it, logically, you see a shitload of red, and then there's just kind of a shadow. Like, as a pilot, you know what that means. You probably panic, but you also are like, shit, no, and then you avoid it. So basically what happened was they flew into a storm accidentally. The engines gave out because they took on too much water, and one-eyed pilot Carlos Dardano, the badass of asses, was like, okay, so we land on a river, but then at the last minute he sees a levee. And he lands on the levee like an awesome badass. No one dies. It's great. Everyone is happy ending. Okay, so now we're gonna thank uh written review. So we have subcap XJ. Thank you. Fishbonius, you are the realist. Maxwell and Relic. Their Relic is a podcast. You should check them out and thank you very much. And we also have Jenny from Wise Tales. She's the co-host and it's another great podcast that you should listen to. And um, thank you for your review. Uh, the Brothers Binge podcast. Thanks. Brodette Nation. You are awesome. Thank you. Podcast Cast. Also a podcast. A podcast review. People. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Uh, Minutia Men. Thank you for your review as well. Joe Brady. You are awesome. Um, Courtney's bestie Akshay <laughs> from Blood on the Rocks. <laughs> <laughs> he pronounced my last name right when he called out he said he, he did my review so I'm i mean not- that's that's how you win your heart right there <laughs> just say your name right i say it wrong just to drive you nuts so. yeah yeah you just divide it in half it's not that bad <laughs> <laughs> sylvanian it's super fun and Marsheen, <laughs> um who's meredith our friend meredith thank you very much I wondered who that was okay yeah it's my rugby little so, um thank you for your reviews you guys they're very helpful. Yeah, we take everything into consideration. If you have any topic suggestions or anything like that, feel free to email us. We're pretty prompt on responding. Um, so, and we love to hear your feedback or if you think our quotes are ridiculous and you found a better one, let us know. Yes, because we will make one for it if it's better. Even yes. if it's not better. Like, if you want to see it, we'll make it. It's fine. We have lots of fun doing it. Yes. It's our it's our fun relaxation time of the week. <laughs> Until Ashley has to go edit this tonight, so yeah, give me a little stress. Great, <laughs> looking forward to it. There's probably okay. a lot that's going to get cut out. This this time. Yeah. Okay. So thank you for listening to the Cult of Domesticity. We are available at iTunes, Google Play, Chorus, Spotify, and Podbean. If we're not on your preferred app, first of all, how are you listening to this? But second of all, let us know, and we will try to fix that as fast as we can. And remember to rate, review, subscribe on iTunes or whatever app you listen on to help spread the word or just tell people we appreciate it. You'll have our undying gratitude. Uh, you can check us out on Facebook and Twitter at Domestic Podcast and at The Cult of Domesticity on Instagram to get the episode tip off, uh, recipe of the week, additional information about the week's topics. Um, if you'd like to suggest a recipe or a topic or a quote, email us at domesticpodcast at gmail.com. Sox is joining in. He's resisting. Yes. Hi, He's been here. 
High five. Oh, cat nails. Cat nails. <laughs> Ow.